0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts and <clears throat> chapter number 24, the New Testament book of Acts in chapter 24, we are continuing on the downhill slide of finishing up this series of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has now been in jail. He was arrested at Jerusalem on false charges that He had brought in a Gentile into the temple grounds, which was very much illegal, and the Jewish people were stirred up against him, and so they um, actually were beating the tar out of him when the Roman soldiers came and they delivered him out. Uh, they land to Caesarea, or sorry, they arrested him. The uh, centurions were, who were in charge of him uh, kept him. He was able to speak uh, to the crowd. But yet they were saying, away with him, away with him. And then in the middle of the night, they had 40 plus Jews that said, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink until the, uh, this Paul is dead. Well, they heard about this and got word into the, the um Person in charge of the Roman soldiers, and so he sent him up to the seat of the Roman government in Caesarea. There, the Apostle Paul has been sitting there talking with Felix, and he's already talked with Felix some more. He's been in prison for a while, still thinking about those hungry Jews who said, We're not going to eat and drink, and the Apostle Paul's been there for a couple months now. And now Felix calls for him again, and this time he brings his wife, Drusilla, and both of them sit and try to talk with the Apostle Paul because they want to hear a little bit more. What is it like to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Tell us more about the way of Christ. And so notice with me in the book of Acts, chapter 24, and we're going to pick it up in verse 24. Acts 24, verse 24, the Bible says this, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left bound and if you're in the habit of marking things in your bible will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of acts chapter 24 acts 24 in verse 25 notice the phrase felix trembled felix trembled and with the lord's help i'd like to change the title just a little bit and explain the formula for trembling the formula for trembling if you don't mind let's go to the lord together let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the great privilege it is to be in your house this morning, to open up the Word of God and to to learn of you. And as we open up today, I'm just asking that you, your Holy Spirit, would be involved in everything that is being done, that you, the Holy Spirit, would point out to people's hearts their current heart condition, that they would have a realistic outlook on where they are in standing with you. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us who are believers to be able to understand how you work. And that we could depend upon your Holy Spirit power. Lord, I'm asking that you would settle us down. Help us to to be dependent upon you. Lord, in myself right now, I recognize I need you. I don't want to do this myself. I don't want to preach this message in my own intellect, my own power, my own wisdom, my own might. I want you and you alone to get the credit and glory that you, your Holy Spirit, have free reign, that you just use me as an instrument and that you be God. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Once again, Mr. Felix, the Roman governor of this area, has helped the Apostle Paul. He's talked with him once and now he's gathered him and his wife and they want to learn more about the faith in Christ. Now, Felix, if you remember, we've given a little bit of biography about him, that he started off as a slave within the Roman Empire and worked his way up from a slave to a Roman governor. Well, that takes a lot of ambition. That takes a lot of doing to go from a slave to a Roman governor. His wife, Drusilla, was the great granddaughter of Herod the Great. And this young lady is now working on her third marriage. And so you could tell the household and the bringing that she had was not necessarily a godly one. Drusilla, who is a Jewess, does not like Christianity. She very much sees Christianity as an enemy. And she has her husband's ear. But yet both of them sit down and says, we want to hear... Your take on Christianity. We want to hear about this way of Christ. We want to hear what you have planned. Notice with me in verse 24. And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. What a better opening uh, for the Apostle Paul than to be offered, hey, we're just going to be quiet. You tell us what it's like to be a Christian. You tell us what it's like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Paul, you explain to us what your faith is all about. You can almost see the Apostle Paul if you could just put an image, kind of crack his knuckles and say, All right, about time clear off a space this is what he looks for he's a preacher you know a preacher worth his salt's ready to preach at a drop a hat and they'll drop their own hat if they have to he's been invited to go and preach invited to go and tell about jesus christ and so he does and when he does at the end of the message felix is trembling he's shaking visibly so so what is it that the Apostle Paul spoke to him? What is it that the Holy Spirit is using as, the Holy, as Paul is preaching that causes Felix to tremble? That causes him to shake? That causes him to be under such conviction? Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to show you from this passage here the formula for trembling. The first step, the first ingredient in this formula would be this. Notice with me in verse number 25. And he, that's Paul, reasoned. So Paul is reasoning. By the way, that's the idea that he's taking his time. He's explaining. He's building up a logical argument. By the way, aren't you glad that the gospel is logical? It's not something that's out there. It's not something you believe on blind faith. It is a reasonable hope. It is something we can clearly explain to some other person. And so that's what he's doing is he's taking his time and he is reasonably explaining the gospel. The first ingredient of it as he reasoned of righteousness, of righteousness. So the first thing he did is he reasoned of righteousness. He reasoned for righteousness. Now what does this mean? Well when we talk about righteousness. We're talking about our standing before God. We understand that God is a perfect God. That's something we believe about him. In fact the Bible describes God as this. That he is holy. 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 The word holy carries the idea of perfect. So you can explain it this way. That God is a perfect. Perfect perfect God he's just not a perfect God he is a perfect 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 God he is a perfect God with the idea of perfect here he is complete he is whole he is everything he is holy God is a holy God but the problem is dear friend is that we are not perfect people The Bible talks about that for all have sinned. They come short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on to explain. For there are none righteous. No, not one. You know, sometimes people use the, the phrase when you talk about Christianity. They say, well, no one's perfect. And they use it as an excuse. But do you know that's not an excuse? It is a declarative statement. You are not right. You are not perfect. Just to prove it, God gives us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were never designed for us to live by because God knows that we could not live by them. In fact, right next to the Ten Commandments, you should have in big box card letters, I need Jesus. Because each one of those Ten Commandments show us where we fail. Do you remember the first commandment? Thou shall have no other gods before me. You understand that the very first commandment is the one that we break the most. You see who's in charge of your life. God or someone else. God or something else. God should always be in the first place. But if you and I were to be honest. There's none of us that have always kept God in his rightful place. Not a single one of us. God has not had his rightful place. The Bible explains that. That you know what? That we shook our fist at God and said leave me alone. And there have been times that we did that. I want to do my own thing. Don't tell me what to do. That we've broken that first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Bible goes on and explains another commandment. He explains that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word vain means to make empty. And so one could simplify it. They may say, well, don't cuss. Don't use God's name as a swear word. By the way, you should not use God's name as a swear word. That Jesus Christ should always be used in reverence, not as a swear word. That you should refrain from saying, oh my, and then replace it with God's name. That is always a bad thing. That is taking God's name in vain. But you know that verse goes far above and beyond Just taking God's name as a swear word. The word vain means to make empty. And so when we make God's name empty, we're making light of who he is. That what we're trying to do is that we often try to bring God down to man's level. That we try to get to the idea where we see God other than the God of the Bible. For example, if you ask somebody at a normal person who may mean, may not be churched, you say, "How do you see Jesus? Do you understand that some people only see Jesus as a little baby in a manger? The only time they see Jesus is a little baby jesus that 's in the mangers and in places who 's afraid of a baby Nobody a baby needs cuddling a baby needs a help a baby is helpless it 's not something you 're afraid of. Some people see jesus as as uh, Others portray him as the long-haired, milk-toast hippie Jesus. That's not the God of the Bible. Do you understand? Jesus is the judge who will judge the entire world. But that's how some people see Jesus. Who's afraid of the little hippie Jesus? Nobody is. Oh, he's just a good teacher. Oh, he's, he's someone who loves. And they have the picture of that. But do you understand that God is the judge of all He is the creator. He's the God of all power. He is not weak at all. By the way, he didn't have long hair either. That's a different thing. But that's a false image. But that's how people see Jesus. Some people only see Jesus as a statue on a cross that he's nailed to the cross and he's bent over. And they see him as the suffering savior. He's not someone to be feared. He's someone to have sympathy over. Oh, poor Jesus. Oh, he died. How sad. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. You understand the cross is empty. Jesus is no longer on the cross. He was at the cross at a moment of time and never to be there again. He said it is finished and it was done. He no longer suffers for our sin. It is done. It is completed. And it was enough. So how do people see Jesus? Do you understand that how people see Jesus Actually is a breaking of the commandment. That do you see him as God? Or do you see him as a man? See that's part of that, that commandment. The Bible says. Thou shall not have any false idols. The Bible talks about that. That we're not supposed to have any images of Jesus. Or images of heaven. Or things above. That That we're supposed to keep the divine the divine. We need to be careful with how we see Jesus. The Bible says that we are to keep the Sabbath, <laughs> to keep it holy, to, that we're supposed to take a day of reverence to God. Well, how many days have we not reverenced God? We burn past that. Well, those commandments only deal with God. Let's get to more practical. The Bible says to honor thy father and thy mother. We say it like this. Obey your folks, right? How many have you ever disobeyed your folks? We've disobeyed the commandments, right? If you didn't raise your hand, you're just lying right now. We've all disobeyed our uh, our folks. The Bible says thou shall not kill. Well, do you understand that you could commit murder in your mind by hating someone? Have you ever wished that some harm would hit someone? Well, we've broken that commandment. The Bible says thou shall not commit adultery. Well, the, Jesus goes on and defines it that if we've ever looked at someone to lust upon, we've broken that commandment. The Bible says thou shall not steal. How many of us have ever stolen anything? Even if it was a cookie from the cookie jar. Right? We've all stolen something. The Bible says thou shall not bear false witness. Don't tell lies. How many of us have broken that? You understand that there are none righteous. No, not one. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you understand when we say that we're not perfect, what we're doing is we're condemning ourselves and saying we are not right. That God is a perfect God. And in order to be next to a perfect God, we have to be perfect ourselves. But instead, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That none of us are righteous. We are not perfect. We are not right. We have sinned against God. That's clear. So Paul, when he speaks to Felix, the first ingredient here is that he reasoned with him of righteousness. That he explained that God is a perfect God, but we are not perfect people. He had to explain that to Felix. Now again, as he's speaking to Felix, Felix is someone who started off as a slave and worked his way to be a Roman governor. Can you imagine that he probably did some not right things in order to become a Roman governor? You understand that he probably had to lie and cheat and steal to get to where he needed to be. He had to step on things, he had to break people, he had to do things that to get ahead. He was not a right person. So as he's explaining, he's talking to a sinner who knows he is a sinner. You can imagine his past as Paul is speaking to him. That things that have come up that, that the Holy Spirit who's working with Paul is pointing out and said, You're not right here. you wrong here. This was a sin. This was messed up. Man, don't you hate it when the Holy Spirit starts poking you and says, You were wrong here. This is where you messed up. This is not what so the Holy Spirit is starting to poke him and starting to say, you're not right. You're not right. You're not right. You're not right. So Paul reasoned with him on righteousness. Then he went on to the next thing. Not only did he reason with him with righteousness, he also reasoned with him on temperance, on temperance. So he reasoned with him with righteousness and then he reasoned with him with temperance. What, what is temperance? Temperance is self-control. Temperance is self-control. Do you understand that no matter how hard you try before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't help but to sin? You just can't. Go ahead and I want you to use your divine imagination and I want you to go through every day of your life rapidly and I want you to find one single day Where you lived perfectly. You know you can't do it. You can't. Because you're a sinner. You can't help but to sin before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you know that if you can't live a single day perfect. What makes you think that you can go to a perfect heaven with a perfect God. If you can't even live a single day not perfect. You understand that. All of us have come short of the glory of God. We couldn't help but to sin before we came to know Christ as our Savior. Do You know that there's some people who believe that when they go to heaven, that there's like a a weight system, a scale. And if their good works somehow outweigh their bad, they'll be able to slide into heaven. Well, do you understand, it doesn't work that way. But let's just think of our own lives. Let's say that I live a great life. That all I do is sin three times a day. Now, as a preacher, I wish that's all I did. But I do more than that, and I'm a preacher. But let's say that I lived a great life, and I only sinned three times a day. That I told a little white lie, I broke the speed limit, and I got mad at my wife. Now, man, if that's all I did in one day, that's living a great life. But let's just say that I lived a great life, and I only sinned three times a day. Do you know at the end of one year, I would have racked up one thousand sins do you know at the end of 20 years that is 20,000 sins just sinning three times a day by the age 50 that is 50,000 sins you understand that if I stood before a perfect God who has no sins who cannot stand the sight of sins and I stood before him with 50,000 sins to my account that I wouldn't look that good anymore would I You understand that even if there was a weight system and there's not, that as much as you could pile in so much good works, you know that if you do them without Jesus and if you do them in your own power, that's actually bad works and so they go off that scale and goes to the other side. Weights it down. Without Christ, I can do nothing. I can't do anything for Christ without Him. Without the Holy Spirit enabling, I can do nothing. It is God that does his own work. So even my own good works, they don't weigh out. But let's just say there is a weight system. Do you know that if my good works somehow outweigh my bad, it still doesn't stop the fact I still sin. I can't make myself perfect. There's nothing I can do of myself to stop sinning. You know, as a preacher, you know, one thing that I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven... Is that I'll no longer sin against God. Have you ever got to the place in your life. Where you just get tired. Of disappointing God. Over and over. And over and over. You understand when we talk about temperance in this idea. You're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You were born a sinner. I understand that there are some people who look at their brand new babies. and They look at them. Oh, how cute and innocent. But you understand that's a little sinner in your hands. And they're going to sin. For example, how many of you remember that when they were growing up three years old? All right. Three years old. I got to teach you things about life. So you sit here and we're going to teach you how to lie today. Okay. This is how not to tell the truth. How many of you remember giving that classes to your kids? You know why you didn't have to take that, give them that class? Because they know how to lie in the first place. From the little crib. Uh, come on, you remember those days that you're that you that you're sleeping, dead asleep, and from the other room, wah, wah, wah. And so you go rush in there, you think the kid's going to die, maybe the diaper pin hit them, maybe they're starving, and you go in there, and you turn on the light, and the baby's looking at you and goes, goo. You know that little liar, there was nothing wrong, he just wanted attention, Did you have to teach them that? No, they sin because they're sinners and you are a sinner and you're going to sin and there's nothing you can do by yourself. Now, God's Holy Spirit can enable us if you're a Christian to stop sinning, but of yourself, there's nothing you can do. And so Paul is reasoning with Felix. He's talking to him. Reasoning first of all of righteousness. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He reasoned with him of temperance. Hey you're a sinner. You cannot stop sinning by yourself. There's, you can't make it to heaven being a sinner. That's the whole problem we have dear friend. We're sinners. We are sinners. That's some bad news isn't it? But you know it gets worse. He explained first of all that Felix was a sinner. He explained Felix. You can't stop being a sinner by yourself. You can't do anything to make yourself perfect. Which brings him to the third part. Notice what he said. In verse number 25. And he reasoned of righteousness. He reasoned of temperance. And he reasoned of judgment to come. Do you understand that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account to Him? Let me show you that if you go to Jesus Christ, if you die without accepting Jesus as your Savior, let me show you the judgment to come. Hold your finger here and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 20. The book of Revelation and chapter 20... And let me show you the judgment to come for all of those that do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Let me show you the judgment to come for all of us who are sinners, what we deserve. You know, people have a hard time with this because they think that they're good people and they deserve good things. But you are not a good person, you're a sinner. Let me show you what sinners deserve. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. And we're going to pick up the account in verse number 10. Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire. So this is where Satan is going to be cast. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And notice what's going to happen. He's going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, so we could say, well, that's what happens to Satan. Satan deserves it. He's a bad guy. And so Satan is going to go to the lake of fire and he's going to be devoured. He's going to be tormented day and night, by the way, without end forever and ever. Do You know, in the lake of fire and hell, there's no coffee breaks. There's no sleeping. There's no rest. It is going to be eternal torture forever and ever and ever. Do you understand that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. So this is a place that was created to torture Satan. How much worse would it be if man went to that place? A place that was made to torture Satan. Well, let's read on. Notice with me in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. So here we see the image of a great white throne, a judgment throne. And God is sitting on this throne. From whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place in them. Again, it's talking about God's power that nothing can stand before God. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, so those who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and who died without accepting Jesus, And then it says both small and great. So this isn't talking about little people and big people. It's talking about small sinners and great sinners. Do you know that that little old lady who lives on the side of the street who never accepts Jesus Christ as her Savior is going to face the same judgment seat that Adolf Hitler does? That the little cute little kid across the street, teenager is going to be in the same judgment seat and face the same God as Joseph Stalin. That it doesn't matter if you're a little sinner or a great sinner. Everyone who didn't accept Jesus as their Savior is going to stand before this white throne judgment and stand before God and give an account for their life. Notice as it goes on. In verse number 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was, no, uh, no, uh, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books. According to their works. Do you understand. That there is a record in heaven. Of every sin. You've ever committed. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. Could you imagine what that book would look like. Could you imagine a record of all the sins you've ever committed. Even the ones you forgot about. They're recorded. The time that you lied to your teacher to get out of trouble. That's recorded. The times that you manipulated your parents and you went to one parent and they said no. So you went to the other parent and tried to get them to say yes. That's in there. That time that you had the bad thought at that person you've been having that crush on. And it went too far. That's in there. The time that you murmured against your pastor because you didn't like something he he did. That's in there. The time that you complain that God was not good. That's in there. Could you imagine what a book like that would contain? And the Bible says that they were judged according to their works. That were found in that book. You know beside each charge. You can imagine at a courtroom. And they're reading the charges against you. That he had a bad thought at this specific thing. And they replay that. Guilty. He lied. Guilty. He lied again. Guilty. He lied again. Guilty. Disobeyed his folks. Guilty. Snuck out of the house. Guilty. 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 Nothing you could do because you know you're guilty. No one can speak for you. By the way, you will be by yourself at this judgment. Your parents won't be there. Your pastor won't be there. Your spouse won't be there. It will be by yourself when the charges are read and every one of them guilty, guilty, guilty. Notice there's another book that's there. It's called the book of life. And so you've got the books of works, the books of all your sins, the books of everything you did. And then there's a book of life. And what they're looking in the book of life is that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior... Your life, your name is written in the book of life. So as they're looking through all the things that you did wrong, they're also looking through to see if your name is written on the roll. I'm sorry. All of these things say you're guilty, but your name's not written here. You are sentenced to the lake of fire. You see, your name has to be on that book of life for you to go to heaven. That name has to be written in that book of life, saying that you've offered the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you. You have to be written on that book. Your name could be on the book of works, but that just shows you're guilty. The only hope that you have is if your name's written in that book of life. And that's why Jesus died, so we could be written in that book of life. Notice as it goes on. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. You understand that even if you die and your body went to the death of the sea, that doesn't get you out of this judgment. You could go to outer space and die and your body float away. It doesn't get you out of this judgment. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast, where? Into the lake of fire. Do You understand that little lady down the street, who looks so sweet and innocent. If she didn't accept Jesus Christ as her savior. She's going to the same place. Satan is. Dear friend. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. It doesn't matter how small of a sinner. Or how great of a sinner you are. You're going to the same lake of fire. Satan will be judged at. And there you'll be tormented. There day and night. Forever. And ever. And ever. Ever. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible goes on to explain in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Do you know just because you told one lie. You deserve this death. Because you disobeyed your folks once. You deserve this death. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whosoever was not ri- found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Where is your name written down? No wonder Felix trembled. Now, the apostle Paul took some time. Uh, Felix said, tell me more about this Christian faith. Tell me about this way of Christ. Paul says, I'll be glad to. And he reasoned with him first of all, of righteousness. That, Felix, you are not right. You are a sinner. He reasoned with Felix about temperance of self-control. There's nothing you could do to stop yourself from sinning. You can't do it of yourself. He reasoned with Felix of the judgment to come. Felix, if you continue in this condition, you're going to die and go to an awful place called hell. Now, this is all bad news, isn't it? No wonder Felix is trembling He knows he's guilty. He knows where he deserves. But you know the Apostle Paul is also good. To tell him the good news. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You understand that God loved us so much that he sent his only son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus came and he died for us in our place. And he died on a cross Put in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day he rose again. And he's alive forevermore. And that because he died. We can live. That he died to take our place. Turn with me to the book of First Peter. If you don't mind. And let's see what the Bible has to say. About this same thing. The book of First Peter. If you don't mind. Good. The book of First Peter chapter number 3. First Peter chapter number 3. And notice with me in verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Notice this phrase. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put de- to death in the flesh. But quickened by the spirit. Notice that phrase. The just for the unjust. We explain that God is the righteous God and Jesus is God robed in flesh, God who is perfect, God who is holy, holy, holy. That God gave his life for the unjust. The just. For the unjust Romans chapter 5 verse 8 for God commendeth or that word carries the idea of prove that God commendeth or proved his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You understand that you were no great catch when Jesus died for you. You were nothing to behold. You were a rotten, dirty, filthy sinner who deserved to go to hell. And he died for you anyways. Because he loved you. That's hard to explain. Would you die for a criminal? Think about this. Think about a criminal. Who raped and murdered and ravaged. And he's going to the electric chair. Does he deserve it? Absolutely. Does he know he deserves it? Yes, he does. And he's going to the electric chair. And right before he gets there. You say, wait a second, I'm going to give you my child, and I'm going to let my child die in the place of that sinner. Someone say, why? Because I love that guy. Well, don't you love your son? I do love my son, but I also love that rapist, that murderer. I want him to live. You understand how unreasonable that sounds? But that's how great the love of God is. We were guilty. We deserve the electric share. We deserve worse than that. We deserve eternity in hell. And God says, no, I'm going to give you my son anyways. To die in your place. Because I love you that much. You say, how do I know he loves me? He proved it by allowing Jesus to die on the cross. But the good news is because Jesus was righteous, because he never sinned. You understand little baby Jesus never talked back to his mama. He never stole a cookie from the cookie jar. He never skipped school. He always did what his stepfather told him to do. He always worked hard. He never cheated anyone in business. He did everything perfect. And when he died, he rose again the third day to prove that he was righteous, to prove that he was God, and to prove that the payment was satisfied. All oh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that it works. And that all we have to do is that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we have to tell people the bad news without the before we could give him the good news. And the Apostle Paul gave him the good news. But he had to point and say. Felix you're a sinner. And there's nothing you could do about it. And if you continue in this. On your own. You're going to hell. No wonder Felix trembled. To have Paul. And again there's, he's not preaching to a big audience. He just has Felix and Drusilla. So they can't blame someone else. He's pointing his bony finger and said. It's you. You. Felix starts trembling. He's shaking. He knows he's guilty. But all he has to do is say, I'll accept that gift. I'll accept that gift. And that's what God wants you to do is accept the gift. So Felix, he's trembling. He's guilty. What happens to him? Turn back with me to the book of Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Notice the Apostle Paul sits with Felix and he begins to talk to him about his faith in Christ. Verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness. As he reasoned of temperance. As he reasoned of judgment to come. Felix trembled. But here's his answer. Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season. I will call for thee. What Felix says is says. Felix said this, what you say, Paul, I believe what you say, Paul, I believe is true. What you said, Paul, I believe is simple. What you said, Paul, I believe it's biblical. What you said, Paul, I'm going to do that someday. But right now it's not convenient. I'll do it some other time. You know, whenever someone says, I'll do that later, you know what they're saying? They're saying no right he rejected God's gift. What a horrible thing to happen. What a horrible thing that he rejected God's gift. You say, but, but, but he could do it later, right? Well, think about the gift giver. Let's say that it's Christmas. All right, Christmas is here. And because I know you, I have saved up and I've sacrificed to give you a gift. And you know what's in the gift. Here's the box. And it's Christmas. And I say, I got a Christmas present for you. Will you take the Christmas present and you look at the Christmas present and say, you know, I know what's in there. I know you sacrificed a lot to give me that present. Oh, I I can't wait to open it, but I don't feel like I'm worthy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set this present over here and I'll open it later. How would you feel if you're the person giving the gift? Do you want them to open it later? Do you want them to open it now? They want you to take it now. Well, I'm going to set this aside and I'm going to wait until I'm a better person. And then I'll open that gift. I, I got to work on me first. Well, no, I don't want you to wait. Get, be better. I'm trying to give it to you now. Well, you know what? I feel like I haven't done enough for you. So wait, I'm going to mow your lawn and I'm going to snow blow your driveway and I'm going to do it for a year or two and then I'll open it up. No, I don't want you to open it later. Do it now. I've got it for you now. You understand that when Jesus Christ is offering the gift of himself, he doesn't want you to open it later now is the accepted time. Now is the time. And what you're doing is you're either saying, yes, I'm opening that gift now, or no, I'm not opening that gift now. When you say, I'll do it later, you're saying no right now. And that's dangerous because you don't know if you're ever going to get another chance to open that gift. You don't know what would happen. You can leave this church right now and start driving back home and have some crazy driver hit you. And that's it. You don't know if you're going to have an aneurysm tonight and never wake back up. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to accept Jesus Christ if you never have. But you know what Felix said? Not now. Later. I got to wait. I, I, I can't do it now. I'll do it some other time. And I'll call you back at some convenient time. I'll do it later. You know, God was gracious to Felix. Notice what the next verse says. And he hoped that some money should be given to him out of Paul. Now, isn't that horrible? He says, no, I'm going to keep Paul in prison. Now, Paul's in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. And Felix knows he didn't do anything wrong. But he wanted to grease the palms. He wanted Paul to get his buddies to say, all right, here's some money. And he want to let him go. But Paul wouldn't give a bribe. That's just not right. It wasn't legal. It wasn't what it was supposed to happen. But you know what Felix did? He said he hoped that money would be given to him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him, Paul, the oftener. That means he called for Paul again and again and again. But you know something it doesn't say? It doesn't say he ever trembled again. Do you know that the Holy Spirit works on people? And he may never work ever again. The Bible indicates that a person cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draw him. You know when he said no to the Holy Spirit? Paul could explain till he's blue in the face. But if the Holy Spirit's not working anymore, he's not going to be drawn. He's not going to be saved. Felix missed his chance. And even though the gospel could have been presented to him again and again... Because he missed that chance. He could never get saved. Because the Holy Spirit said fine be that way. You're done. You're done. Isn't that a horrible thing to think about. That a person who was presented with the gospel said no to that gift. And then God said all right if you want to be that way. God is a perfect gentleman. He'll never force himself on anyone. He said no and he said all right I'll take you at your word. You don't want it. That's fine. What a horrible thing for Felix. Felix. History says he died an awful death. So what happens to Paul? Verse The last verse, verse 27. But after two years. Paul is kept in prison for another two years. Two years. By the way, Felix is still alive. Still saying no. Still saying no. Two years he kept Paul in prison. Until Festus comes and Festus... Um, Says, what's going on here? Felix kept him bound just to keep the Jewish people happy. And Paul never paid him the money. He would have let him go. He knows he's innocent. Now he's someone else's problem. And we'll cover that tonight. But today, what I want to cover this morning. Is that we recognize that we're a sinner. Do you know that for a fact? you know that you're a sinner? You know, I don't have to convince you. You know you're a sinner. You understand because of your sin... You deserve to go to an awful place called hell. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself stop sinning. The only hope that you have is Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for you. But just believing that you're a sinner and because you uh, sin you deserve to go to hell. And that Jesus died for you is not enough. You must personally accept Jesus Christ to be your savior. And that's what we want to invite you to do. If you've never had this settled. You may say well I said a prayer. I'm not asking if you said a prayer. You said well I've always been in church. I'm not asking if you've been in church. You say well I've tried to do my best. I'm not asking if you've done your best. I'm asking have you come to the place. Where you personally asked Jesus to be your savior. And you could pin it down. This is when I did it. This was the circumstances. This is when I had it pinned. By the way. If you don't have an experience like that, you're in dangerous ground. You need to know that there's a time in your life where you personally ask Jesus as your Savior. The worst thing that could ever happen is for you to walk out of this building not knowing for sure. Because there's no guarantee that you'll ever have that chance to receive Christ ever again. Whether an accident Or whether the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you. Now is the appointed time. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time where the Holy Spirit's trying to do a work. Dear friend. Let me ask you this question. Are you 100% sure if you were to die today. Are you 100% sure that you would be going to heaven. If not. Let me tell you it would be my greatest privilege to take the Bible. And to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. Now let me talk to the saints. You understand that we have a reasonable hope? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we need to learn and be proficient at reasonably explaining to someone else how they can know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because we're living in a world that's lost and dying and going to hell. There are people around us, loved ones, friends, families, gas station attendant, grocery store clerk, the lawyer down the street... All of those people without Christ are going to hell. And God has left us here to tell them. And it is our responsibility to reason with them. We have a reasonable hope. We are to explain to them clearly and logically that they're sinners. And because of their sin, they deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But Jesus died for them. And they must personally ask Jesus to be their savior maybe dear friend you are not proficient in that you know what would be a good thing to do today is to go up to god and say god help me to become the soul winner help me to learn to explain to people by the way it'd be my great privilege to take the bible and to show you how you could explain people in fact we're having something called the evening school of the bible that's the first class of following Christ and fishing for men. Teaching people how they could explain to others. How they can accept Jesus Christ as their savior. But that's important. If you know the truth. You have the responsibility to tell the truth to someone else. Because this is a serious thing. This is something that affects all of eternity. This formula for trembling. That people can know for sure. That they're going to heaven. But we have to tell them the bad news before we could tell them the good news. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time